Good to see you all. Um, welcome to RUF. Uh, friends, no matter what you believe, no matter what you've done, no matter where you find yourself tonight, I really hope that you feel welcome here. Um, I'm Matt Patrick. I'm the RUF campus minister here. Uh, if I haven't met you, I would love to. And if I haven't eaten lunch with you or had coffee with you at Acorn, I would love to do that as well. Uh, and so would Caroline, our intern. Where is Caroline? Uh, yes, she would also. Yeah, I'm speaking. Caroline! Yes, Caroline, uh, whose birthday was this past Friday. So please send her warm uh, B-Day greetings. Um, uh, but seriously, Caroline, the uh, Lord has used her a lot this year. I'm so grateful for her. I know Ivy is too. Um, so um, RUF stands for Reformed University Fellowship. And we are one of the many Christian campus ministries here. We want to walk alongside you during these formative years of college to help you grow in your faith. What we're trying to do together, imperfectly, but trying to do it nonetheless, is is to learn how to love God, to learn how to love others, and learn how to love Wofford. But more fundamentally, we're a people bound by the reality that before we're called to do anything, God loves us. And so I hope that you experience RUF as a ministry that shows you and teaches you that you are loved by Jesus Christ. Um, This spring, this is the second week, that we're going to be looking deeply into the book of Jonah. The book of Jonah, and we're calling it The Depths of Mercy. And uh, if you grew up in the church and you identify as a Christian, or if you did not grow up in church, just like literary, like this is a very popular story. You probably have heard of the story of Jonah. Jonah and the giant fish, Jonah the prodigal prophet, uh, lots of ways to talk about Jonah in this story. Uh, But spoiler alert from last week, I'm going to repeat it. Um, The book of Jonah is not about a giant fish. The book of Jonah is not about Jonah. The book of Jonah is about God and his relentless and endless mercy to rebels. That's Jonah. God's endless and relentless mercy to rebels. And we're going to see that every week because the downward spiral of Jonah's life is met with this bottomless pit of God's grace. That's what we're going to see each week. And tonight uh, we're going to be looking at the text that's found in your handout if you want to direct your attention there and now. Um, so life, life has its way of like surprising us. Life uh, is not predictable. You and I know that life in a fallen world, things are not the way that they're supposed to be. And we're oftentimes just surprised by life. We're surprised by good things. Uh, many of you uh, signed up when you came to Wofford your freshman year. And freshman, you probably have experienced this after one semester under your belt you randomly got assigned a roommate and they became your best friend and they probably will be in your wedding one day. You've been surprised by a good thing. Um, And uh, for others of you, you've been surprised by a a bad season of life. Maybe you signed up for an internship or a summer um, like camp counselor job over the summer and on paper it looked really good. It checked all the boxes for a good summer and it was really difficult. And it was a season marked by suffering and disappointment. And you were surprised by it. We are not in control, friends. And that is something that Jonah knew all too well. Because what we're going to see tonight is that he was surprised. He was surprised by God. 
and the mercy of God came to him in the form of lots of surprises. That's what we're going to see in the story tonight. So this is God's word, friends. Uh, It can be found in the handout or in your Bible if you brought one. He's spoken to us. He's not silent. He's spoken to us uh, not to give us a book of rules to follow or a theology exam to ace. He has spoken to us because he loves us. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. Repetition is everything in Jonah. Notice the the phrases and words that are repeated. Verse 4, But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God. They hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. This is the basement of the ship. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us so that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots, that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. And they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? And where did you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew. I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you've done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Verse 11, Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous and tense. He said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you, for I know it's because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rowed hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Friends, this is the word of the Lord, uh, and it's good and true. And again, it's given to us in love. Let me pray for us. Lord, your word is living and active, and... um, we know that's true because you are living and active, and um, Lord, but I, I do confess that um, my mind is busy and my heart is restless, and I sense that I'm not the only one that could say that. Um, there are all kinds of things going on in the world, uh, in the lives of our families, uh, on this campus, um, in Spartanburg, 
Lord, uh, we need you to slow us down that we might see beautiful things from your word, that we would actually become both hearers and doers of your word, that we might become more like Jesus Christ, the good shepherd and the author and perfecter of our faith. And we ask it in his name. Amen. Okay, so the game plan is before you. First, surprise of mercy, and then the aim of mercy. Surprise of mercy, the aim of mercy. Let's go to the first one, the surprise of mercy. Okay, let's back up a little bit. We need to remind ourselves of the context and what we talked about last week in those three short verses. Jonah received a call from God. The word of the Lord came to Jonah. That's what happens to prophets when they receive this prophetic vocational call from God. And last week what we saw is that he received this call. He, had nothing, he didn't want anything to do with it. He leaves. He runs away. He's a man on the run with a heart that says, No, God, not your will be done. My will be done. That's what we saw last week. I'm going my own way. That's what Jonah said. That's what he said with his heart and his feet followed. God called Jonah to prophesy against the evil nation of Nineveh. Remember all the things we talked about Nineveh last week. They were crazy evil, and Jonah did not want to go there. And the first thing that we're going to see tonight is that the mercy of God is surprising. God's mercy is all, it sneaks up on us. The the surprise of mercy takes on two forms in this text, and here's the first. First, God's mercy meets us in unlikely circumstances. God's mercy meets us in unlikely circumstances. So Jonah gets this call. Go to Nineveh. Jonah runs away, gets on a boat to head to Tarshish. Again, that's essentially the, on the other side of the world. Uh, he, you know, Jonah gets this call to go be a prophet to, uh, to Florida, and he gets online and books a southwest, southwest flight to Canada. This is what happened with Jonah. And then something happens Jonah boards this ship. He gets on the Southwest flight, and uh, he gets refreshments, and uh, he has one too many of those like cinnamon cookies and ginger ale, and uh, may, yeah, maybe like a you know something stronger than that, and then takes a nap. He falls asleep. We read that Jonah went down into the belly of the ship and started taking a nap. Okay, so he's relaxed. He's like just chilling. Just chilling. And here's what happens. The unexpected thing in verse 4. Look there. God does something unexpected. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and it was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. So when Jonah least expects it, literally, he's taking a nap, right when he's good and relaxed, God causes a storm and that to come to him, that was so intense, these professional sailors are freaking out having anxiety attacks right before his eyes. Like, this is their job, and they're freaking out. The, the boat is going to break up. And they say, make it stop. How on earth are you taking a nap downstairs? So God's mercy often meets us in the form of, of storms. Of, of storms... Now, I think this is important for us to slow down and focus on this because oftentimes most of us think that God's presence is experienced when things are going very smoothly. So you, it's week two and you already have your schedule sort of down pat. You feel good about how many hours you're taking. 
Um, you get into your first choice of fraternity and sorority. Things are going well. You have like a, a tight-knit friend group. You have the summer internship already locked down. Things are going well. That's where you experience God's presence. That's what we think. That's where we wake up. But y'all, God's most powerful work is done in the storm. God's most powerful work is done not when things are going smoothly, but in chaos. In chaos. Now, this could be done uh, and experienced through literal storms like we experienced last week in this town. This could be done through seasons of deep depression and disappointment and suffering, emotional experience and, and, uh, and spiritual experiences of this. And you know this all too well. Many of you tell me about it. Experiencing anxiety and depression. People you love are sick and they're not getting better. Addictions you cannot stop from choking the life out of you. And shame seems like it's going to win. Welcome to the storm. Welcome to the Christian life. Welcome to life with God. God's most powerful work, friends, is done in the dark. It's done in the dark. That's where God meets us. He doesn't pretend, He doesn't invite us to pretend to be something that we're not, to act like there's not a storm internally, externally, in the world. Because it's only there where we encounter Jesus Christ, the only one who can truly calm it. He calmed one literally, He's the only one that can calm uh, the storms of our heart, our minds, our wounds. Friends, mercy meets us in unlikely circumstances. Not just that. God's mercy meets us uh, in unli- with unlikely people. Unlikely people, not just circumstances. God's mercy surprisingly shows up for Jonah, not just in the storm, but in these unlikely sailors. These sailors, in verse 5 to 11, the sailors in the middle of their appropriate panic attack, they go confront Jonah, and through this whole interaction, they get converted They hear the mystery uh, and the message of God's mercy through Jonah uh, and his life. And they actually start interacting with Yahweh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the, the God who created and sustains all things. And they start believing him. Um... Not just unlikely circumstances, but unlikely people. I want to read, starting in verse 5 again, I want you to follow along. We're going to be in the text a bit more this evening. Here's the interaction. Then the mariners, the sailors, were afraid and each cried out to his God. They hurled the the cargo. They wanted to, to keep it light. But Jonah had gone into the inner part, was taking a nap. Verse 6, so the captain came to see him. What do you mean, you sleeper? They're freaking out. Verse 7, come, let us cast lots. This is this kind of like tricky, like rock, paper, scissors situation that, you know, whoever wins or loses or something, you know, you can figure out who did this storm. It, you know, surprise falls on Jonah. Verse 8, then they said to him, tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What's your occupation? Where do you come from? Etc. Verse 9, and he said to them, this is, this is him being, this is one of Jonah's best moments so far. I'm a Hebrew and I fear the Lord. Anytime you see the Lord in all caps in the Old Testament, that's the old Hebrew word for Yahweh, God's name. This is the Christian covenant God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, 
Uh, what is this you've done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord. And then they end up believing at the end. God's mercy comes to Jonah through the sailors. And here's why this would be shocking. We need to slow down a little bit. This is where context historically matters for us. These pagan sailors are extending mercy to Jonah that he denied Nineveh. Y'all see the irony? These pagan sailors are extending mercy to Jonah that Jonah was called to extend to Nineveh, but he refuses. These sailors surely were not Jews. They were not within the covenant community of God, Israel, just like Nineveh. That's the irony. They are the ones extending mercy to Jonah when that's been his job from day one. Pagan sailors are preaching the gospel to this prodigal prophet. That's what's happening. They eventually believe it. Mercy meets Jonah through these unlikely pagans, the kind of people that he hated, the the kind of people that he was trying to run away from. So God's mercy shows up with this unlikely group of sailors, but there's also another unlikely person involved, and it's Jonah himself. It's Jonah himself. So again, what we read in verse 16, the, the way that this passage concludes is the sailors essentially are converted. They believe. We read that through all of Jonah's sin and rebellion, these sailors end up hearing the good news and experience the very mercy that Jonah doesn't want them or Nineveh to have. The mercy of God meets people unexpectedly with unexpected and surprising circumstances and people. So I want want to try to get at this in in my own story for a second and tell you about an unlikely circumstance that I've gone through and an unlikely person. Okay, the unlikely circumstance is my parents' divorce when I was 13 and uh, a, a non-Christian, uh, like, sort of Quaker English professor that I had in college, okay? So first, my parents' divorce. So one of the hardest seasons of my life. Um, my brother, 10 years older than me, was well into um, pastoring churches at that time, so I was home alone, and it was messy at home. And it brought all kinds of pain and tears and disappointment and anger at God and resentment and years of bitterness between family members. And it's truly a miracle that I have a relationship with some of these family members involved in all of this. And God's done all kinds of things. Um, But I want to say this. this, Here's what the surprise of it. I think what I experienced during that time... Uh, when my marriage, when my my marriage, my, my my parents' marriage was falling apart, I got so desperate that I started looking for rest everywhere I could find it. Anything that promised satisfaction and relief, I would take it. And eventually, uh, freshman year of college, I've told many of you guys the spring semester of freshman year of college, I ran out of options and nothing was giving me rest. And God brought me to the end of myself, and I became a Christian. And I don't think that I would be a Christian. Like, it, the, the divorce was so pivotal in that. It broke me. And I was in the dark and in a storm. And God saved me out of it. And grace was really sweet because of how dark it was. Okay? Y'all with me? Second is this professor, Dr. Angela Bala. Is that not an amazing name? Dr. Bala. Think of like all the like puns and nicknames that like was in the classroom um, that I did a lot of times. So this this lady um, 
like we still email. She's like one of my heroes. And we, I would go into her office and talk about writing with her. I was an English major and we would talk about my papers and she just become, became this kind of mentor of sorts to me and uh, had high character, was very safe for me. And at one point she started asking me, Matt, what are you planning on doing after you graduate from college? And I knew that she wasn't a Christian and was kind of nervous telling her, I was like, well, I think I want to go to seminary. And at that point, I think I want to become a pastor. That would sort of be the end game of that. And I was like, oh, what is she going to think? Um, And she responded and she just simply said, Matt, that makes sense to me. Uh, I have no doubt that you would be a really good shepherd to a flock. And it stuck with me. So, uh, surprise, Uh, non-Christian, quasi-Quaker, like hippie, Woodstock, like she was at Bonnaroo every year, etc. Matt, you'd be a good shepherd to a flock. You know, I'm not going to be one in your flock, but you'd be good at it. And so divorce and this quirky professor, I really don't know if I'd be standing here like looking at Jonah, this random book, if it wasn't for those two surprises. God meets us with his mercy uh, in surprising ways, unlikely circumstances, unlikely people. We are not in control. I want to ask you, how has God met you with his mercy that surprised you? Um, How's he done that? If you're a Christian here tonight, if you have had a speck of faith in Jesus that he is enough for you, I want to encourage you, gently encourage you to keep those memories sharp and fresh on your mind. Because when you suffer, not if, but when you suffer and experience disappointment, you need to keep those memories really close by. And you need to reflect back on those and celebrate them. And the same God who surprised you then is probably has a game plan of surprising you now with his mercy. It's what you signed up for when you followed Jesus, and he's so committed to you in this. So how is his mercy coming to you? And y'all, look, the freshman class, y'all are going into the next uh, couple of weeks with all kinds of uncertainty. Uh, if you're a Christian, I want to invite you to reflect back on God's faithfulness to you in the past when his mercy has just ha- haunted you and hunted you and all kinds of surprising ways. Keep that close to you. Um, so that is the surprise of mercy. Let's go to the second one, the aim of mercy. First thing is this in terms of the aim. Here, what I mean by the aim is where is God's mercy like aimed at? What's the, I was going to call it the target of God's mercy. I think that's a, a little bit better as I say that out loud. I like it better than aim. God's grace and mercy is always personal. It's always personal. It's specific. The mercy of God met Jonah right where he was, in the middle of his rebellion, in the middle of his flight away from God. God knew what boat he was getting on. He knew where Joppa was. And he knows where Tarshish is. There's specificity to the target that's aimed at Jonah. God's mercy met Abraham. God didn't start with interacting with Jonah this way. He met Abraham, not someone else, to bring about insane blessings to all the nations, eventually resulting in, da- in Abraham and David's line and the Messiah, Jesus Christ. He chose Abraham, no one else. Direct mercy to Abraham. And he also uh, met David with his mercy. 
not anyone else, to be the king of Israel, to embody God's ways and will to a watching Gentile world. He didn't choose anyone else. He met David in all the nuances of his sin and his doubt. He murdered a guy. He committed adultery on his wife. God's mercy met the complexities and the specificity of his sin right where he was. God's mercy met Paul, not someone else, to preach the good news to the Gentiles, to plant churches. God's mercy met Paul, and he took Paul out of a vocation of murdering Christians to being a Christian missionary with all the nuances of the brokenness in Paul's mind and heart and past. There's a specificity to God's mercy. Because it's personal. It meets individual rebels right where they are. And friends, God's mercy has met you. It's aimed at you specifically. Jesus came and died, not generically, but for you. You're a child of God. You're a daughter of God with your story, your background. He knows the number of the hairs on your head. He knows about your hometown, your longings, your insecurities, your addictions. There's a specificity to his love and the particularities to all the stuff in your life. That's how God relates to people. David Jones, his pastor, puts it this way. I love this. Grace is not bland. Grace is not generic. It's precise and concrete. It's precise and concrete. All right, so I'm in the middle of this book called Eleven Rings by Phil Jackson. And Phil Jackson was the former Chicago Bulls coach during the Michael Jordan six championship seasons in the 90s and the former Los Angeles Lakers coach. And he lets readers in on the ins and outs of his coaching philosophy, why it was so successful. And for Jackson, uh, one thing that I find fascinating about this book is that he says that coaching Michael Jordan is the Bulls era teams. Coaching Michael Jordan and coaching Dennis Rodman were very different experiences for him. You have Michael Jordan, who was the best player of the league at that time. He was on the cover of every magazine, Time and People and GQ and all these things. He was clean cut. He was extremely driven and disciplined. That's Michael Jordan. Relentless competitor. So focused. Rodman could not have been any more different than Jordan. He was a defensive player. He was a a rebounding specialist. He was covered in tattoos. He drank like one of these pagan sailors in our story with Jonah. And he would go insane over any ref that would make a bad call. Uh, If you've probably seen videos of Rodman going crazy on people. Jordan was composed. Rodman was endlessly erratic. That's these two players. And so Phil Jackson had like an insane like influence on both players, and here's why. Jackson did not apply a generic cookie-cutter approach to coaching for both players and just said, this is how I coach both players. He didn't do cookie-cutter love and coaching on these guys. He tailored his coaching to, to meet the particular gifts and needs of each individual. That's what he did. He met Jordan right where he was. 
And he met Rodman right where he was. And y'all, Dennis Rodman, complicated character, if you might know. And Dennis Rodman's Hall of Fame speech a couple years ago, when he thanks Phil Jackson, his coach, he can, like, not speak because he's crying so much because of how uh, much love and care he experienced from this coach. So the, the particularity, the love, like, gets people. You've probably been changed by someone like that. And what's so powerful about it is that it's reflecting God's specific care and love for you with your story in mind. The mercy of God is not generic. It's personal, specific. That's the first thing. Second part of the aim of mercy is this, and we're, we're landing the plane here. Um, the mercy of God is also cosmic. It's cosmic in its aim and purpose and scope. All right, so it's important that we remind ourselves each week is that the, one of the main purposes of Jonah's call was what? The salvation and the, the judgment and salvation, gosh, judgment and salvation of Nineveh, the wicked nation. That's kind of the goal. And what we will see is that, uh, that the good news of this message and the mercy going to Nineveh, God will not stop this. He will, he's relentless in this cosmic commitment of his grace. And what we'll see is that, I'm, gonna, I'm actually just going to read it. Here are these words. Tell me if, you, if this sounds familiar. This is from Mark 4. It's one of the Gospels. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, Jesus says this, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took, took with them in a boat, just as he was, and other boats were with him, and a great windstorm arose. And the waves were breaking into the boat, that the boat was already filling up. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion, Jesus was. And they awoke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the, and the wind ceased. And there was a great calm. And he said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Friends, uh, you probably know that that is from the Gospel of Mark, and that is Jesus on the boat. And he says one phrase, and the storm stops. Why? Because he created the seas. One word, storm stops. This is the message that God, there's a specificity of this message coming at you and at me. The cross shows us that. And it's cosmic in scope is that this is the message that somehow we we have a role and both showing and telling this message to the world until he makes the whole world new. That's crazy. And he will not stop until he does it. The Bible ends with a renewed creation. And somehow when you and your story are involved in it on a personal level with forgiveness of sins, and then you actually get to go speak it and live it in front of other people, it's amazing. That's the story of Jonah Uh, And no matter what Jonah does, uh, he's not going to get in the way of it. And that's good news. Let me pray for us.